Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. Leading a college or university is becoming a more and more challenging job. Tenures are getting shorter, and some leaders in our area are stepping down or moving on. Just last week, both Harris Stowe State University President Duan Warmack and Washington University Provost Holden Thorpe announced they're leaving their posts. And Wash U Chancellor Mark Wrighton and University of Missouri St. Louis Chancellor Tom George are both retiring. Michael Shonrock of Lindenwood University and James Dennis of McKendry University are both leaving as well. Joining me on Friday afternoon to help make sense of this trend and others within the field of higher education were three guests who have been watching it all very closely. They include Stephen Hansen, Emeritus Professor, Dean and former Interim Chancellor of Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, Chris Maples, Interim Chancellor at Missouri University of Science and Technology in Rolla, and Sarah Brown, a senior reporter with the Chronicle of Higher Education. I started by asking Sarah whether the U.S. is generally seeing an inordinate amount of turnover in campus leadership right now. Yes. So in general, um, the tenure of college presidents is getting shorter. Um, the, the most recent data we have, which is from the American Council on Education, that's the big higher education association, says that the average tenure of a president now is six and a half years. That's down from eight and a half years a decade ago. Um, and more than half of the survey respondents said they plan to step down within five years. Um, so president's time on campus definitely getting shorter. There are a lot of reasons for that, and we can go into them. But, you know, quite frankly, it's a tough job. You've, you've read the news. You've seen the scandals, college admissions, sexual abuse, athletics. It makes for a very stressful leadership role. Well, let's talk about maybe what do you think are you, – you, you ticked off a few uh, possibilities there, Sarah. But um, what, what do you really think are the biggest issues that are, are, are leading to this uh, reduction in tenure? So that American Council on Education survey also asked presidents about that, and their number one concern is money. You, you have to keep your university on sound financial footing in a tough time these days. And, you know, in the Midwest, student populations are on the decline. That means that budgets are tight. Um, in addition to that, presidents these days are responding to issues increasingly that they may not have been dealing with before. So say... A, pre a professor makes a comment in class that offends a student, the student videotapes the interaction, it goes viral online, the president is going to have to respond to that, right? So there's just a lot of pressures related to the job. It, it requires presidents to carry out a lot of responsibility, and it's not just about managing a complex organization. So, you know, whether or not that was sort of at play in any of the cases um, in the St. Louis region, obviously, presidents leave for all sorts of reasons. Those are some of the sort of stressors that are leading presidents and chancellors to depart maybe sooner than they would have liked um, around the country. Chris Maples, you're just finishing up a two-year uh, interim uh, chancellorship uh, at uh, Missouri University of Science and Technology. Uh, you have a long career in in higher education. What's your take on the state of leadership uh, and tenure uh, in, in America's higher education? Well, I think Sarah hit it very well. Um, this, the tenure has been shortening, and uh, the, the stressors have been increasing somewhat. Um, a lot of it is financial. She's correct. Um, as uh, particularly in public higher education, as states tend to disinvest in some of the public higher education support, more and more uh, universities are are scrambling for 
additional tuition revenue without just increasing tuition all the time. And so what you're finding is you're finding a lot of universities that are trying to look for that balance between the revenue coming in with tuition, additional revenue with fundraising, additional revenue with uh, creative opportunities for things like online education, uh, for uh, grants, contracts, for intellectual property, and, and really trying to, to do all of this in an atmosphere where uh, as social media increases and the use of it has increased over time, the things that you do become more and more uh, out there more and more quickly. And so don't get a lot of time to think about reactions. You have to already be prepared to deal with incidences on your campus and the news that travels by social media so quickly with that. Steve Hansen, you are retired, but you, you were a former interim chancellor and uh, uh, been a professor and a dean. Um, is, is our expectations of university leadership fair? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I, I think uh, you know Chris and Sarah have articulated uh, the issues uh, really well. The, what surprised me when I stepped into the role of of being uh, interim chancellor was the speed, the direction, the breadth of which issues came at me as chancellor, and how many interests collided in that office. Whether it's the interests of of the trustees or political interests or faculty interests or student interests. There are, there's so many different sides to the issues and in their, in their complexity. And what I found very quickly was that every decision I made had a consequence that more than likely might uh, be against somebody else's interest. So mediating all that and keeping the friction down was was a full-time job. When, when you add, I think, the stress of, of social media and how uh, a chancellor or president's already kind of in a, in a glass house, but when you add the social media that every move that you make could be recorded, uh, uh, that makes it even all the more delicate. Um, yeah, we expect a lot from a chancellor, but uh, we're a president. But I, you know, I don't think it's. Um, um, I don't want to say unreasonable, but uh, it's it's the sign of the times. I think, uh, and it requires you to be agile and and very careful. Do you think that we're doing higher education a disservice by? Um, having demands on these positions that are so difficult that it makes it almost impossible for somebody to have a 10 or 15 year tenure at one institution. Are we doing higher education a disservice by not allowing uh, or not having people in leadership position for longer periods of time? I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know about answering that question. We, there's, there seems to be, you know, in, back in the early 20th century, you talked about gentlemen scholars leading universities, and uh, the whole focus seemed to be on educating students. 
Well, that no longer seems to be the case. Uh, a chancellor and a president has to focus on funding, as Chris and Sarah have, have already indicated. And you have to juggle the politics of that, if you're, particularly if you're a public university. And all the interference that, that's associated with that, that, that draws the, the, the leader away from, from issues of necessarily of quality and of educating students and, and pulls you into a whole different arena than, than what has been true in the past. Uh, Chris, do you think that, um, that, that uh, the, the demands are unreasonable and that uh, it's difficult for a university to have uh, long-term success if uh, the leadership is under such pressure that it's very difficult for them to stay for more than a few years? I, I think uh, I think the expectations have increased. There's no doubt, but I think what it means is that more and more that uh, university presidents and chancellors used to operate a, a little on their own, and, and now it's much much more of a team effort with uh, the shared governance within the university structure. But more importantly, with a lot of boards and a lot of uh, oversight that comes in with outside perspective, and so. Um, it, it's it's really become much more of, of of an operation that requires that kind of teamwork in order to be successful in the long run. And so it's a different kind of person doing these kinds of things. And, and, and so one of the things that you see is that uh, there's been a decreasing number of provosts who are headed towards presidencies. Um, that used to be the traditional track, being provost president. More and more provosts like the idea of working internally within the U, within the university and, and don't like the, all of the external demands uh, that, that go with uh, a presidency or a chancellorship. If we think about how higher education has changed maybe in the last 20 years, uh, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, from the level of state institutions, state support is down pretty much in all 50 states. There's just less money coming from state governments to help state universities, and they've had to respond with a completely different financial structure and, quite frankly, higher tuition. Um, the, the, there's there's also the issue that that at least has been put out there by some people that the value that we're putting on higher education may not be as high as it's been in the past. That there, there was a much stronger belief that, you know, the way that you are successful in life is you graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a job um, as a better, well-rounded human being who can think in a lot of different ways. And there's, you know, politically, socially, that, as, that, that assumption has been challenged. I'd like a reaction from all three of you. Do you believe that that's true? Is higher education under attack at some level in the United States? I I. Yes, I think so. I think uh, it's it's under attack um, from a variety of directions. Um, uh, there is tremendous pressure on universities because they're economic engines in in their regions or in the nation. Um, so there's there's a lot of demand uh, uh, on that side. Uh, there's the expectations of parents and students, and if that's not met. Uh, with the credentialing of a student who, who receives a, a degree, um, that's pressure. And, of course, then, then there's the universities have been used 
and we're at fault ourselves uh, for for partisan purposes, for for different political agendas. Uh, you can you can uh, see uh, that this uh, is being played out today. I'll, I'll jump in. So without taking a sort of explicit position on whether colleges are under attack, I mean, there's no question that their value has been brought into question. At the same time, um, I think it is clear, and I think most people continue to hold this view, college is really important, right? So maybe not necessarily going to college, but getting some kind of post-secondary credential, getting some kind of education after high school is critical to better economic fortunes, better health outcomes, all that kind of stuff. And I think there does continue to be widespread belief that college or some kind of post-secondary something or other is important, but there's no doubt that in some circles there are questions being raised about the value of college and about college costs and all that kind of stuff, and it, and it, it remains to be seen sort of how colleges and universities will respond to that. Sarah, in your reporting and in, in your understanding of it, um, to to what extent is what you just said manifesting itself in the way that university leadership is hired, retained, um, and how they function in the job? College leaders are being brought in from different backgrounds. Increasingly, I think that's fair to say there was sort of a trend a few years ago of bringing in the quote-unquote non-traditional college leader who was more of a business-savvy person, knew how to do more with money, knew how to raise money. Um, so that's certainly a trend we've seen. Historically, college presidents and provosts were both sort of plucked from the academic ranks, the faculty ranks. Um, but in general, you know, we're, we're still seeing kind of a, a range of people coming into presidencies and a range of people being successful in them, We'll take a a quick break, and you're listening to St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. And welcome back to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. I'm speaking with Steve Hansen, an emeritus professor, dean, and former interim chancellor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, Chris Maples, interim chancellor at Missouri University of Science and Technology, and Sarah Brown, a senior reporter with the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, Chris, I'd, I'd like to ask you, you were an interim chancellor in Rolla for two years. Um, what do you make of this whole idea of trying to advance uh, a university um, in a long-term way, even though you may not be there for a short amount of time, and, and that can manifest itself differently if you are an interim chancellor the way you were, or if it was someone who may only be there for four or five years, which is kind of considered closer to average tenure. Well, so Sarah's point's a good one, that some of the uh, longer-term goals uh, can fall by the wayside if there's a change in leadership, especially if that change in leadership then brings in a completely different perspective. Uh, that's where having uh, broader strategic plans, and so uh, there's a University of Missouri system strategic plan, and, and one that uh, Missouri S&T has put together itself within the construct of that University of Missouri uh, strategic plan. One of the other places where you 
really find uh, challenges is in fundraising. If you talk to fundraisers and you look at the fundraising successes, the really larger donors and the larger successes are built around visions and cultivation. And those are usually six, seven, eight, ten-year kinds of relationships that develop. So that's one place that you definitely lose some momentum with change in leadership. Steve, do you think something needs to change? I mean, we've talked about, you know, the tenures getting shorter and the pressures getting larger. Um, is it a problem, and do you think something needs to change? I think that um, um, if funding were more stable, if you could count on whether you're a public or a private, if you could count on a solid base of funding so that there wouldn't be so much pressure to increase tuition, um, that it would allow you to um, plan better, to address some of the questions that Sarah and Chris uh, have, have brought up. Um, you would be able to, to plan for the future and do strategic planning more properly. Um, so that uh, you wouldn't take off, say, on chasing uh, um, an opportunity that might re that might produce more revenue for the institution that w might be overly ambitious. Um, there's nothing worse than having expanding your programs and then funding not coming through for that uh, program, and then you're you're left uh, without sufficient resources to really. Uh, really follow through. So I would say that if, if we could count on stable funding that uh, didn't saddle students with debt, uh, that maintained accessibility uh, for, to higher education for, for students, um, that that would go a long way in uh, stabilizing uh, the fluctuation in, in the president's and chancellor's tenure. Chris, do you think something's broken that needs to get fixed? I think it's it's a, certainly a different time and in a different place. Um, the student debt is a huge issue, and and that is uh, that is frankly something that we are collectively have to address. As tuition has gone up, and uh, and the way students uh, pay, uh, support themselves that has not been able to change as dramatically as what they see on their tuition bills. So, you know, tuition has gone up higher than. The rate of inflation because there's also been a pulling out of funding from various states. And so um, the burden has shifted to students. And many of our students today are working two, three, four jobs, borrowing money, um, dropping in school, out of school, taking a course here and there, and trying to get their way through while accumulating some degree of debt. And that's the part that's going to have to change in some form or fashion. I think the student loan debt in this nation is is a critical issue. I'd, I'd like to throw can out I a... Jump, can yes, I, please, Sarah, go can ahead. I jump in on yes, that? please, please. So um, in addition to student debt and student loans, I totally agree that that's got to be a core issue for college leadership. In my reporting, I've generally found over the past few years that presidents need to be student-focused, so not only on student debt and student costs, but also responsive to students, good at talking with students, working with students, committed to issues like student safety and well-being. Sarah, do you I, I agree, oh, go ahead, Chris. Whole, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, 
I, I think in in the in the business of running universities, uh, there are times that we we overlook the people who we are there for, and, and that is the students. And so, it's important to talk to students and and listen to them and find out what the struggles that they're going through and find out the things that they're interested in. I'm I'm wondering if uh, a, a big part of the the challenge here um, is that that at a university everybody who works there thinks that what they do is the single most important thing that the university does and and I think you want that at some level <laughs> um, but if you teach uh, if you teach English you think making sure that every student has a a, a good understanding of Chaucer's really the most important thing a university does. If you work at the library, you think having a good library is the most important thing that a university does. If you work in res life, you think having a comfortable, clean place to live and a safe place to live for students is the single most important thing that a university does. That's got to be, Steve, that's got to be like a, a, a darn near impossible thing to navigate. Um, it, it, I, you know, that's an interesting point. I, th- I think it's a good one. It, it, going back to what I said in the beginning about how I was surprised when I stepped into the chancellor's office that there was this collision of all these interests. Well, what you just described is is part of that, uh, that the director of housing has his or her interests that, that they're promoting uh, in the chancellor's office. And I think the, what I found, and you know, I'd like to hear what Sarah and Chris have to say about it, but what I found is that it was hard sometimes to keep your balance, uh, that you're you're uh, bounced uh, between all these interests and pulled in so many different directions. But if you can keep your focus on the value of the institution, that that helps, uh, helps you mediate between those interests and helps, helps you as the chancellor or president show those uh, people representing those interests that there's a bigger picture that they have to keep in mind. But, but isn't that even, I mean, that, that sounds very good, but that, that can be a real challenge because um, just the push and pull between is a university's job at educating students to have them well-rounded in a wide variety of things, or is it to get them very specific information and skills for job placement? And that seems to be a push-pull that has been inherent in higher education for decades, but has really come to a head lately. Yeah, it, it, it has. And, and um, I think that with the specialization that is going on in the economy and in jobs, there's more of a demand for credentialing and learning, training for specific skills. But that's, in a sense, short-sighted uh, because you have to educate st- students to learn how to think, to gather information, and uh, to evaluate that information so they can continue to learn after they have their degree. And that's what a baccalaureate degree does, is is to help students learn, to learn how to learn. Sarah, in in your perspective, is the the, the shortened tenure of of leadership and some of the, the, the things that we've been talking about here, is it a symptom of the other problems that we've been talking about more so than a problem in and of itself? I think that there's a lot going on in in higher ed right now, and it is leading to, it is definitely, uh, there is some kind of correlation with turnover and leadership. It's hard to say causation. Um, One other thing I'll note is that, you know, sort of at the institutions in question in the St. Louis area, Um, Obviously, a couple of them are retiring or leaving after long tenures. Um, One, another one is leaving 
the president of Harris Stowe University is leaving to take another presidency. And of course, the situation at Lindenwood University is a little more fraught because the president was fired after less than four years. But there are really a range of reasons that college presidents and chancellors do leave and, you know, retiring after nearly 25 years as um, Washington University in St. Louis's chancellor has done is a totally valid reason to to leave. So there's a range of there's a range of issues at play here. I'd like to wrap up our conversation by asking each of you to give a very short and direct piece of advice to board of trustees that are looking to hire a new president or chancellor. What would be the number one thing that you would ask them to keep in mind as they go down this process? Chris, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. I think I would. Uh, I think I would ask any board of trustees to to hire somebody who has that student focus, um, and to hire somebody who is not going to be in their office all the time. And I know that may sound a little odd, but um, the job of, of running a campus is much more than being in the office. It's being out on the campus. It's being out in the community. Um, it's an out and about kind of job. Steve? That's it's a good question. I, I guess, you know, while I agree with what Chris said, I, w- I would tell the trustees, or I'd ask the trustees to make sure that that candidate, the person they choose, does not confuse their ego and ambition with that of the institution, that they're not one in the same thing. And that too often I've seen presidents and chancellors fail because they do get that confused. Their ego gets wrapped up with the institution, and so it becomes more of a personal thing instead of what's good for the institution. Sarah, you get the last word. What would you tell them? Sure. So in terms of what we've seen um, uh, related to presidents and chancellors who have perhaps not done so well at their various institutions, um, I think listening is a really important um, skill to have. Being a closed-off college leader in this day and age is not only a, a risk, it's also just not going to be received very well. Um, so that's something that we've seen a lot of. Another point I'll make is um, we've seen some um, flare-ups around not having a diverse candidate pool for the top job at institutions. And I think that's something that people are also aware of. So both you know, gender, race, socioeconomic background, all of that is another thing that I think these days uh, colleges and universities have to be aware of in the hiring process. That was Sarah Brown, senior reporter with the Chronicle of Higher Education, along with Steve Hansen, emeritus professor, dean and former interim chancellor of Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, and Chris Maples, interim chancellor at Missouri University of Science and Technology, discussing the state of higher education in our region. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.